Hello everyone and welcome to the Scouting God Podcast. In this podcast, we're going to try to read all the merit badge books that Scouting has to offer. In this episode, we're going to be reading The Legend of the Mogion Monster Story. Um, part 2, The Legend Continues. Years passed and Grey Eagle's people were long forgotten. The years turned into decades and the decades turned into more than a century. There was a war beginning to fight in the east, a war between the north and the south. Two soldiers fighting on the Union side, who fought this side by side through many of the bloodiest battles of the war, developed a bond that was extremely close, even closer than the bonds of brothers. It is kind of the relationship that only two men had entrusted their every lives to one another could understand. Their names were Sam Spade and Amos Hearing. Many a night, they would lie under the open sky and talk about the future that they would have if they survived that bloody war. They had hard tales of a new territory, the territory of Arizona, newly created with the stroke of a pen by Abraham Lincoln himself. Arizona was a land where a man could lay claim to some of the best farming and ranching that as far as the eye could see. The two men decided as if they both survived, they would travel together west to seek their fortunes in the wild, untamed territory. When news came of Lee's surrender to Grant at a proximate, the two realized their good fortune in having both survived. They were able to keep the army-issued Springfield muzzle loaders as a partial payment for their service. With the little money that they were able to scrape together and the clothes on their back, they headed west. They just had left the state of Virginia when news of the president's assassination caught up with them. Saddened, their trip was to west took on a new meaning. They would be some of the pioneers opening the, the west for colonization. They were helping to realize the manifest destiny of our country. The opportunity seemed limitless. They were able to reach Santa Fe, New Mexico, before their money and supplies ran out. Sam Spade was able to hire on a, as a ranch hand at the Double Bar Branch, and Amos found work on an appreciant blacksmith at the Webb Blacksmith Shop. They again began to work and save, hoping to realize their dreams to become Arizonian ranchers. Several months passed. Sam met and began to call on a beautiful woman who was the daughter of a local merchant. Her name was Alice. Sam thought she was the most beautiful woman she had ever seen, with her jet black hair and fair skin. Amos, too, met an equally beautiful woman. Her name was Molly. Soon, the serious courting began. Sam and Amos were convinced that the only way they could ever be happy was to continue their journey west with Alice and Molly as their brides. As soon as they convinced Alice and Molly to share their dreams, and a double wedding was planned, and finally realized it was a glorious occasion. The gifts of money and provisions came pouring in. People were very kind to these two war veterans and their new wives and partners. It wouldn't take long for the four of them working hard and saving all that they could to gather enough money and supplies to continue their journey west to the Arizonian Territory. After more than a year of hard work, they bid together friends in Santa Fe goodbye and continued their journey west, reaching the small village that we now know as Hellebrook. They stopped for a few days to rest and resupply. Riders from the Hacks Knife Pawnee Express offered in Holbrook and told them stories of crossing in the Mogollon Rim 
and the beautiful valleys that lay just below the rim. This land could all be homesteaded, and a man could lay claim to as much land as he could work. This sounded like the perfect opportunity, and was exactly what they had talked about on those battlefields so long ago. So with that information, as a reference guide, and a guide, they turned to the south, heading right into the heart of Arizona. Reaching the small village of Payson, they began to inquire about what land they could use in their homestead area. They talked to, to the cattleman, lawman, and country officials who were all welcome to the area. It seemed that there were more land that there could be worked than there were people to work it, and everyone was hoping that more people would move into the area and help broaden the local economy. In these discussions with the locals, they would often hear the tale of a valley a few miles to the north, a valley surrounded on three sides by the majestic Mogollon Rim. This was a valley where two creeks made their way down from the rim and met right in the center of the valley. How strange, Sam thought, that no one had claimed this prime land for themselves. But there were stories, tales, that were beyond belief, and the locals seemed to take too much to heart. But Sam and Amos weren't going to let a few stories about some monster keep them from their dreams. And so, packing up their wagons with more provisions, they turned around and headed back up north. Finding the Weber Creek, they followed it until it forked. What a beautiful valley, they thought, and they could easily envision the working cattle ranch that would become their dream. Sam Spade and Amos Hearing constructed crude log cabins for their wives. They worked from dawn till dusk, planting apple trees, building corrals, and hunting game. Many times, especially as the sun was either rising or setting over the rim, they both would have the strange feeling that they were being watched, by what or whom they did not know. It was the kind of feeling that makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. It soon became apparent to them both that this valley would only support one family and one ranch. It was Amos that came up with the idea they flipped a coin. The winner would stay here on Weber Creek. The loser would move to the other side of the rim into what was then called the Pine Valley. Amos gave Sam the pleasure of flipping the coin while he would call it in the air. Sam took on out a silver dollar and flipping it high and over end in the air, he heard Amos call, Tails! The coin hit the ground, bounced a little bit, and then came to rest. It was heads. Amos grinned, and shaking Sam's hand, he found that he was sincerely happy for his good friend. He and Molly gathered up all of their earthly possessions, which easily fit into the bed of his wagon. Bidding Sam and Alice goodbye, they headed around the Milk Ranch Point part of the rim, and down into the Pine Valley. Over the next several months, Sam would ride over to the Milk Ranch, point out to help Amos build a cabin, and set up his ranch. Amos would always return a favor, for they found that building the cabins was far easier if they worked together, one on one, and then the other. As they worked on one, Amos' cabin, Sam helped to mention how he crossed the rim and he began to feel the eerie feeling that they were being watched and maybe even followed by what or whom he had no idea. But it was the kind of feeling that made the hair on the back of his neck stand up. Although he heard and saw nothing, Amos expressed that he had the same sensation every time he made the trip to Sam's ranch. They decided that they would keep it to themselves, for they did not want to worry their wives or draw the attention of the other settlers in the area, who might think them crazy. It was at that time that Alice gave birth to their first child, a son, who Sam named Willem but who both Alice and Sam would call Billy. 
Billy was a healthy and happy boy. Sam would often look into the eyes of his young son and wonder what his future would bring. Who would the experience of the horrors of war like his father? Would he choose to remain in the spade ranch and continue the work his father started? Would he seek an education? Would he live a long, prosperous life? Or would his life be tragically cut short? These are questions that almost all fathers would wonder and ponder. Questions that only the time could answer. One afternoon in the late fall, Sam was founded, taking a large bull elk up to the upper meadow. The elk at that time were the large premium elk, much larger than the elk now, found on the rim. If Sam could take one elk, it would keep his family in meat throughout the winter months. Finding the elk gazing just below the tree line, Sam pulled up his spring field from the scabbard. He took careful aim, considered the distance, wind, and lay off the land. Drawing up at bait, he was just about to squeeze off a round when he heard the most terrible roar. Bounding down from the tree line, he saw something that he had never seen before. It looked like a giant bear, but it ran on two legs. Running much faster than the elk, this creature caught it with ease, Sam watching it as it pounced upon the elk and dragged it quickly to the forest. Watching there as it disappeared behind the trees, he gave chase. Only a few feet into the woods, he came upon a most horrendous scene. Looking around, Sam saw no sign of the creature, but he did see its prey. Scattered over a large area was what was left of the elk. He had been completely ripped from its body. Its gore was strewn across the site. Its flesh has been completely devoured, leaving only its organs and bones. Sam found a footprint in the dirt, clearly 18 inches from Yodahoto. He thought what power this creature had to have to so completely devour such a large animal in less than a minute, and then completely disappear without leaving a clue as to where it went. As he looked into the forest to see if he could catch a glimpse of the unknown monster, Sam was startled to see an Indian on horseback. Hey you, what's your name? The Indian did not respond, but only stared. Did you see the monster that did this? The Indian kicked his horse gently, and it walked slowly forward. When the Indian stopped, Sam looked at it again, and then pointing down at the footprint asked, Did you see what made this? The Indian said one word. Me gusta, and then kicking his horse, he rode off into the woods. Sam decided it was time to tell Alice about what he had seen. For now, they had a child to think of, and he did not want Billy to ever be left unattended. Alice seemed more worried about the Indian Sam had spotted than the creature, but then he had not seen the terrible remains of the elk. At, at, as time passed, Sam would notice claw marks slept behind on the side of a tree, or skeleton remains of an animal, which looked crushed, but had no meat or sinew left upon them. The things he had once passed off as being the work of bears, he knew must be the prey of this unknown creature. He would have to keep a watchful eye. One morning, Sam and Alice were awakened by a terrifying roar. Grabbing his spring field from the mantle over the fireplace, Sam told his wife that it must be the monster. Any doubts that Alice might have disappeared with that roar. It was unearthly, like nothing she had ever heard or even imagined before. She begged Sam not to leave, but he was resolved to go. He must rid the spade ranch of this monster, if that was ever going to live in peace. After mounting his horse, Sam rode down to the upper meadow. As he reached the meadow, he noticed an eerie calm. No birds were chirping, no crickets or cicadas made a sound. It was completely silent. The cattle seemed to be deadly still, but completely erect, with their eyes and heads up. 
None were eating the grass that they saw in the meadows. Sam dismounted and once again drew his springfield from the scabbard on the horse. He began to survey the scene. He saw an area, again, not too far from the tree line, where no cattle were grazing at all. Finding that odd, he decided to investigate. As he reached the clearing, his stomach turned. There, laid out before him, was one of his cows. Its side has been slashed open, and its gore was strewn about the area. What Sam found to be a completely unbelievable sight, though, was the fact that his head has been completely severed from his body. It looked as it had been ripped off and tossed aside merely to stop the cow from moving. Again, the cow's meat had completely been devoured, but the hide was left intact, except for five large slashes across its side lengthways. None, none, it is now a thing with a bear or mountain lion kills a deer or an elk on your ranch. It's completely different when they start to eat your cattle, and an end had to be put to this animal, or whatever it was, or it would eventually drive the rancher out of business. Sam knew that even though this monster was no bear or mountain lion, it had been stopped, and the only way to stop it was to be Sam himself. But perhaps he could get Amos to help him, he thought. Riding over the Milk Ranch Point and down into the Pine Valley, Sam rode into the Hearing Ranch. Both Amos and Molly were inside the main cabin, for Molly had just a week earlier given birth to their first child, a girl who they had named Nancy. Sam asked to speak with Amos outside, not willing to scare or alarm Molly. When they reached the porch, Sam immediately began to tell Amos about the monster. He told him that he had seen the monster kill an elk, and that in less than two minutes it had devoured its flesh entirely. He described the remains of the cow, and how he had been ripped from the body. He asked Amos to ride into the town with him, and help him buy a set of bear trap. He could capture the creature. Checking with Molly to make sure he would be alright, Amos saddled up and mounted his horse. As they rode into the basin, Sam wondered out loud if this creature could be filled with what he had felt as the road across the Milk Ranch Point. You know, he said. That feeling you are being watched, the feeling that makes the hair on your back of your neck stand up. Amos asked how tall Sam thought the creature was. Sam said, That monster is more than 10 feet high. I guarantee it. I found a footprint that was all of 18 inches in length. Amos looked at his old friends skeptically. He didn't know if Sam was joking or if he had gone plump loco. He thought to himself, now Sam is surrounding like a crazy man. In Payson, Sam bought the largest bear trap he could find. Amos bought gifts for his wife and new little daughter. Then, wasting no time, Amos and Sam rode back north, following the Weber Creek back to the Spade Ranch. Riding right past the Spade Ranch house, they soon came to the upper meadow, and it was then that Amos immediately became a believer. Seeing the remains of that cow, he thought, What could have done this? No animal he had ever seen before. The sight made him want to vomit. Hoping that, like a coyote or a large cat, the monster would return to the scene to finish eating its prey. They decided to set the trap near what was left of the entrails of the cow. Margaret's had already found a home in the carcass, feasting upon the innards, which were all that were left. It took both men to set the trap. It was a full three feet in diameter, stretching the long chain the 20 feet or so to the tree line. They attached it to the largest tree they could find, which happened to be the closest tree. That that should do it, they both said in unison, and then chucked as they both said the same thought. Amos bid his friend Alu, 
Then the morning, his horse began. He began to ride the west and over the milk ranch point. The next morning, just after dawn, Alice and Sam heard the most terrifying roar. I got him, Sam said as he grabbed his rifle from over the mantle. Please be careful, Alice said. My boy needs a father. Sam reassured her, kissing her and little Billy goodnight. As he rode up into the upper mountain meadows, he couldn't believe his eyes. The trap, or at least what was left of the trap, was sitting twisted and crushed on top of the cow's decaying head. The tree, which was at least two feet in diameter, had been uprooted, its trunk broken clean from the roots. The chains had been pulled apart, almost link by link, although a few links remained intact and connected. As Sam looked all around the area, he found what he thought might be a big toe of the creature. It was as wide and as long as three middle fingers of Sam's right hand together. It resembled a human toe in shape, and it had a small toenail, but it was entirely covered with hair. Sam chuckled and thought to himself, Well, at least I got a piece of the best. Over the last several years, the monster did not visit the ranch much, or if it did, it left no visible signs. There would be times when Sam was out riding and working that he would see what he thought were the melted remains of some animals, which he would immediately give him an eerie feeling. He would often get the feeling that he was being watched. By what or by whom, Sam could not be sure. But the monster was very far from his mind. He was the kind of feeling that makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. One evening, Sam was returning from a successful deer hunt on top of the rim. As he rode down from the rim along East Weber Creek, he spotted a small fire at the foot of the rim to his right. It was several hundred years away, but Sam decided to investigate. Dismounting, he took only his spring killed with him. Silently, he moved to within 150 feet of the fire. There, to his astonishment, he saw that the Indian that he had seen the day of the elk kill and sitting across the fire from him was the monster. They seemed to be speaking to one another, but not in any language that Sam had ever heard. It seemed to be some sort of ancient Indian dialect. Taking a bread on the monster, Sam steadied himself and pulled the hammer back from 150 feet to the creature. Must have heard it, for it turned and faced Sam. Its eyes began to glow red, and faster than a snap of the fingers, it disappeared behind the tree line and out of view. The Indian mounted his horse and rode over to where Sam stood with his gun lowered to the ground. Shaking his head in disgust, the Indian kicked his horse and rode into the darkness. Sam returned home and tried to make meaning out of what he had just witnessed. Several months passed. On Billy's eighth birthday, Sam decided that it was time for young Billy to learn how to hunt. Billy was already a very good shot with his dad's Springfield muzzle loader. He could hit a small bottle of elixir from over 50 feet away. He also knew how to load and clean the rifle as well. They began by tracking the deer and elk near the ranch house. Billy wanted to follow his father carelessly, wanting to learn all that he could. Sam had promised him a rifle of his own on his next birthday, and then they would truly be hunting partners. But Billy did not mind at all. While being eager to learn to hunt, he realized that with a rifle was very expensive and dangerous. When that, he still needed to learn how to hunt before he began carrying a rifle around on horseback. One evening, just before sunset, Sam and Billy had tracked a deer into the upper meadow. Leaving their horses, they followed the deer to the edge of the meadow near the tree line. Billy stood several feet behind his father. As Sam took aim at the deer, all of a sudden they heard a terrible roar, unlike anything Billy had ever 
or heard or imagined. The creature kept from, from the darkness, and just as soon as it started, it was over. But with one swipe of its mighty claws, that creature sliced open the side of that deer, its gore spilling into the ground as it still stood. The creature swung its other crawl and took the head clear off of the deer's body, sending it flying across the meadow. Sam took aim at the creature and pulled off a round, grazing the creature on the shoulder. It let out another roar of pain. The monster turned, its eyes glowing red, and began to charge at Sam's spade. Knowing he would not have time to chamber another round, Sam grabbed his rifle by the barrel and swung it like a club at the creature. Raising his giant paws, the creature sliced through Sam's arm, and the arm of the rifle fell into the ground. Sam fell unconscious to the ground. The monster looked down at Sam, and then looked at Billy a few yards off, who stood in utter shock. Then, for just a moment, that creature almost became human. Its eyes quit growing red. The muscles on its neck and shoulders relaxed. Its hair lay flat against its body. The monster scooped up Sam Span's body and carried it in one arm. He made his way down to the trail to Spade Ranch House. He dropped Sam on the cabin steps and bounded up the hill in the east side of the cabin. Billy, who was following a few hundred feet behind, finally entered the ranch house gate. Mom! Mom! Come quick! Dad's hurt! As Alice ran out on the porch, she took Dan Sam's head onto her lap and began to wrap her arm upon the stub boy's right arm used to be. As she looked off into the distance, she saw an Indian motioning that he would like to help. Over the next several months, Quana helped Billy and Alice nurse Sam back to health. And even though Sam fully recovered physically, with the exception of losing his arm, he would never be the same mentally. He no longer could work at ranch, causing Billy to become head of the household at the tender age of eight. Sam would sit in a rocking chair on the porch of the cabin, mumbling to himself, The creature... The monster, gotta kill it, took my arm, gotta destroy the beast. It was a painful sight. Quana was a tremendous help to Billy. He knew how to ranch and about the area in general. He and Amos took Billy all that needed to know to keep the ranch running smoothly. In the next several years, the ranch not only ran smoothly, but it had thrives. Alice could not have been prouder. And she knew that Sam would feel the same, if he could only express it. As Billy grew older, he asked Quana many questions. Quana told Billy about Great Eagle and his people, and how their entire village had been destroyed by a terrible monster. Although it was Tootsio and Quana was referring to, Billy made the assumption that it was the monster that had taken his fa father's arm. He talked about his friend Ashayla, and how Ashayla had never recovered from losing his beloved morning dove. Billy wondered how far in the past these things had happened, but Quana said he had no reckoning of the white man's time, but it had many moons. They became close friends. At this time, Billy became the most eligible bachelor in the Rim Country, but Bill Spade seemed to only have three interests, his mother, his father, and his ranch. All that changed, however, when he was de delivering some supplies that he had promised Amos for helping him set up the, some fencing around his cabin. As Bill entered the hearing ranch, he saw young Nancy Hearing for the first time in years. She had grown into a beautiful young woman. She reminded Bill of his mother with her jack black hair and her fair skin. Billy soon began to court young Nancy, making the trip over the milk ranch point several times each week. As Bill rode, he often got the eerie feeling that he was being watched for some darkness. The monster who had taken his father's arm was never far from his mind, but Billy doubted that it was still alive. 
If it were the same creature that Quana was referring to, it had to be decades old by now. But still, as he crossed the rim, Bill would never get that kind of strange feeling that would make the hair on his back of his neck stand up. The courtship flourished, and Billy asked Amos for her daughter's hand in marriage. Amos and Molly were in ecstatic. The Hearing and Spade Ranch families would finally be joined together. Bill asked Nancy on the very same day, and she gladly accepted. The day of the wedding was set for the middle of July next. It would be a social event of the year. The entire community of Payson and Pine were invited, as well as all of the ranchers who lived along the foot of the rim. The wedding would be held at the Spade Ranch house. The day of the wedding arrived, and like most July afternoons, the monster rains hit. It rained for almost an hour, but then the sun rose and the clouds cleared. It turned out to be a beautiful day, although a light mist rose from the courtyard of the Spade Ranch house, giving the scene of an almost surreal feel. Sam Spade sat watching from his rocking chair on the porch. The guests were seated in chairs along the fence in the road. The preacher and Bill Spade stood under the large tree in the center of the yard. One on cue, Amos and Nancy came out of the ranch house and started down the steps. As they approached the tree, the preacher asked, Who gives this woman to holy miniature? Amos answered, I do, giving his daughter a quick kiss. Then he moved over to sit with Molly and Alice. Bill took Nancy by the hand and... Something in the creatures just snapped. Bounding down the hill, he struck young Bill Spade with the back of his paw, sending him flying across the yard. Nancy faded as the monster scooped her into his arms and began to run up the trail towards the rim. Sam Spade jumped to his feet and cried, The monster! I'll get him! He ran into the ranch house and, using his good arm, grabbed the rifle from off the mantle. Running out of the cabin, he tripped down the steps, sending the rifle flying out into the yard. Bill Spade took the rifle and began to run through the gate and out of the yard. Quana tried to stop him. She will be all right if the monster had wanted to kill you. You would be a dead already, he said. Bill threw, a, Bill threw out for a moment. He, how can he say that? The monster robbed my father of his arm and his sanity. He robbed mine of my youth, and now he's robbing the most important day of my life. No, Quana, I will kill that monster, and with that, he gave his chase. When the monster reached the upper meadows, he stopped realizing that the young woman was limp in his arms. He laid her down and realized that she was dead. She had literally died of fright. The monster looked skyward and let out a terrible roar. He immediately turned and headed once again towards the rim. Bill ran as fast as he could as he tried to catch the monster, but no avail. Keeping his eyes squarely on the monster, not wanting to lose him, he did not notice Nancy's body as he ran past the meadow. Seeing the creature turn and run across the face of the rim, he aimed high and fired a shot. Coming surprisingly close, he reloaded and gave it a chance again. As he rounded a large boulder, the creature fell upon him, striking him hard and breaking his neck. Bill Spade died that right there on that spot. As the monster looked down at young Bill Spade, it almost became human. Its eyes quit glowing red. The muscles on its neck and shoulders relaxed. Its hair lay flat against its body. With sadness on his face, he scooped up the lifeless body of the young man and began to head down the hill. When he came to the open meadow, he saw Quana kneeling over the body of a young Nancy Spade. The monster set young Bill Spade next to Nancy and began to walk away. Quana, with tears running down his cheeks, asked, Will it stop? When will the killing cease? The creature turned and faced him. His eyes began to glow red. The muscles in his neck and tightened. Its hair stood up on edge, and the creature roared, Never! It will never end! And so... As you hike the trails of the majestic Mogan Rim, 
and you get that yearning feeling, the feeling that you are being watched. It is that kind of feeling that gets you and makes the hair of the back of your neck stand up. Never, never turn around to see. Listening to part two of the Mogyan Monster Story. Tune in next week for part three.